Friends, on this show, we are just going to get right into a conversation. That's Stacy and me. We're going to get into a conversation with you, dear listener, about the ways in which the Tao Te Ching and studying this text that we're looking at this season is very much a part of our overall theme about outfoxing religious wolves and emancipating ourselves from mental, financial, spiritual bondage. And because of that, we think that this is going to be a great show to just kind of get you thinking about the ways in which each of these chapters out of the 81 that we're looking at this season really do have something to say about religious abuse in the church, even though it's not direct but it helps us to protect ourselves and recenter ourselves so that we are less susceptible to such tomfoolery. Friends, I'm so glad again that you're on the road with us. Come along for the ride. Here we go. Baby, one of the best places we were, I think, was uh, the last spot where we were able to hang out with Aiden, and we went fishing for trout, and we stayed and just rested along a river. But at several points, we found ourselves sitting alongside a waterway or a mm-hmm. river, and we always found ourselves across from what? <laughs> Fauna. Do you remember? Bald eagles. Bald and, eagles. America. And we would, we would find... The family, so we would usually see the parent there. We would be able to follow it and trace it back to see where the nest was, uh, and it was really interesting because is I mean it was Aiden that actually had noted that, huh? You know, it seems like each of these waterways that we are near, we constantly are seeing a bald eagle. Now that was in Montana, of Wait, course, no, other places. But I want to go back. It's not just that we saw bald eagles at the water. It was where they were nesting. Which was right across from us. So we always found our place near mm-hmm. their nests and slightly away. Mm-hmm. Well, slightly away from what? Well, we're, we were always trying to be on the edge of where all the people were. We yes. weren't trying to be in the middle of the people. <laughs> right, we right, were, right. You know, on the edges. And so yeah. it was it was kind of that distance, you know, that element to it. But also just that... We were then apparently attracted to all of the same <laughs> environmental conditions that they found comfortable to make their nest in their home. Right. And that's where we felt comfortable to make a home away from home. And in so doing, we also found ourselves closer to a lot of good spots to catch fish because, of course, they're looking <laughs> for fish as well. And, and this illustrates for us a really important principle of the Tao Te Ching in general. We have, you know decided to not translate it as Wu Wei, which is just leaving it essentially untranslated. Uh, We will mention Wu Wei, but Wu Wei, as we talked about on the intro episode, we were talking about how this is getting into the flow. This is getting into accord with the natural way of things to The doing by not doing in a way, Um, but also still, again, (laughs) you're going to... Jump in and Every be active once in a while at a certain when you need point. to, like a like a, a blue heron who's just kind of sitting there waiting for the fish to go by and then striking real fast. But but this is an illustration of that. We're we're going to call that though surfing the Tao as as a concept because we want to keep that surfing part in there with Wu Wei so that Westerners mm-hmm. don't think that it's complete passivity and inaction and weakness. Well, and 
picking up on the cues from the bald eagle, it would, it would give us the sense of, okay, he has not moved from the perch whatsoever or she. Right. <laughs> so maybe there's not, it's not really a great time to fish or, oh, they're definitely getting active. They're seeing so, some stuff out there. So, yeah, they were. So now's the time. Let's grab the, the poles, you know. But, yeah. I mean, if you can, for fun, obviously cast, uh, you know, your, your line out there and, mm. and just have fun. But when you were wanted to actually catch wanted dinner. To be successful, yeah. <laughs> um, you, by paying attention to the environment around us, you were able to get the mm-hmm. cues from the other, from nature and what was, you know, happening right there to kind of say, here's the best time to try to approach this. And that's kind of like in the Psalms, I mean, not the Psalms, but in the Proverbs in the Bible, in the Old uh, Testament, the Hebrew Bible, you have a lot of texts that invite you to consider the ant, you lazy person, you know, or the, <laughs> this is that wisdom tradition. We We see it in many, many cultures. We see when we sit under a tree in the heat of the day by a stream and you start to observe all the little animals, mm-hmm. that is part of what the sage did. You know, it's not like this is in competition with all the good stuff you learned in your undergraduate degree in psychology that was based on empirical data and stats. Mm-hmm. They may not have, have used stats in the same way, but the Tao surfers, the old sages that came up with some of these important insights were sharing wisdom that was was gleaned directly from nature, mm-hmm. not abstract reason, not the prophecies of some oracle or or raving you know prophet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and because of this, it is uh, so beautiful and so universal because we often can look at various insects or behavior patterns of flocks of birds or whatever and just you know just gain insights and then sometimes apply them don't always apply perfectly there's no doubt about that <laughs> but that was a nice that was a nice little touch of it and it was really nice along the way caught a uh, didn't didn't eat, didn't always eat dinner sometimes we would catch something we had to put back like a a bull trout really happy to catch a bull trout in the in the mountains of Montana anyway let's get right to business darling we've got seven basically seven reasons why Lao Tzu's text, the Tao Te Ching, actually fits our over, overall purpose, which was to outfox religious wolves. We said in last season, we were looking at the teachings of Jesus so we can find ways to avoid the, uh, the machinations of those who come with ill intent uh, in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? So you, you find a way to have Jesus protect you from people that might be not giving you the goods, in the name of Jesus. Here, one of the things we also can be looking at, and this is not one of the, the seven reasons, but one of the things we're trying to do with this whole like long series, you know, season after season, is to, in some ways, find people from traditions that are a bit different mm-hmm. that also share this encouragement to all human beings to think what they think they should think, to feel what they actually feel, to validate and honor their feelings, and to do what they know they should do, right? Yeah. And there's so many ways in which sometimes religion gets in the way of that. Right, right. And anything that gets in the way of you thinking what you know to be true and feeling what you feel directly and and doing what you know your conscience tells you to do is kind of problematic. Yeah, and the the feeling part, you know, it's interesting because um, we were even just talking about this the other day and saying... We can't control our emotions. No. But we can control our behavior related 
to our emotions. So right. how do we how do we act upon those emotions? We can at least mitigate the <laughs> repetitive nature. I mean, you know, that we obviously will fall into patterns, but you know, right. What I'm saying is, is that if you're sad, you, you yes. need to honor the sadness. If you're angry, you actually need to honor that anger. Or but, there's no moral value to it. Too. But if, but if anger then means that I'm allowed to roll my eyes at you or that, you know, no, like that's right. not okay. Right. Behavior needs right. to, you know, obviously have it's, limits and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and what's, what's acceptable so that you don't hurt other people mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. But, but the emotion itself is not good or bad. It just is. And I've grown up and I, I know I've mentioned this before, but I think it's really important. Um, you know, I just, cause it's so much ingrained in, in, in me. And I, be- I believe that there are other people that feel the same, that they feel like, or they think <laughs> that they shouldn't be feeling certain things. Mm-hmm. And when you try to stuff that down, it only rears its ugly head in some other way, shape, or form, yeah. or in an exaggerated, you know, mm-hmm. you know, blow up or, or or another time. And then it's usually probably highly inappropriate, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it really has nothing to do with the subject at hand. Right. <laughs> and so it makes the overall thing, even you know, just how you even deal with it, how do you overcome it? Um, less effective because you're all of a sudden, you know, I'm crying over spilt milk uh, when it had nothing to do with the milk. But yet if I had acknowledged that I was sad before that or something that I could figure out like, you know, how to go about putting myself in a different space. Where do I, where do I get that reset button Mm. so that I don't get overly emotional about non-connected things? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that, that we see this, it's interesting how this is an intersection between our tradition and that of of another kind of Eastern understanding of things that we see in uh, Alan Watts. Alan Watts in the 60s was a kind of a countercultural sage mm-hmm. in that, you know, the hippies kind of looked to him as a popularizer of, of Taoist thought. Of, for um, a time, he was a Methodist uh, pastor. Right? No, he was an Episcopal, Episcopal priest. priest. Yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, and uh, but he was really interested in Zen. He understood Zen Buddhism. Understood how the ways uh, that, that there were many ways in which Taoist uh, thought influenced uh, Zen Buddhism, especially as it got to to Japan. So he was interested in that. But he also in the United States, he served in that role as the kind of more high church uh, Anglican uh, priest. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he normally isn't going to be the kind of guy you'll hear saying great things about Martin Luther. Mm. But he does mention something that I thought was interesting, and that is that Luther had a great insight about the bondage of the will. Most people don't know that Luther's most favorite book, you know, something he really felt was a strong and important book, was his work where he was writing against a guy named Desiderius Erasmus, the great... Um, the great humanist, Renaissance humanist scholar. And they were debating about the freedom of the will. And I think people misunderstand the the significant deep implications of this. It's not saying what some hyper-Calvinists or double predestinarians are saying, that God's God's kind of controlling every minute thing in life, Mm -hmm. that the reason Johnny goes to heaven and, and Billy goes to hell is just God rolling the dice and, you know, predestining them to hell or heaven before 
even the world was created. Which sounds horrific. Right, in, in that particular way. But it is a calling out. It is this idea that repentance is a gift, that repentance isn't what you do to get God's love in Luther's thought, but that God awakens you. It's kind of a mystical awakening. That in some ways he gets from uh, it's an not earlier a works, text. Not a works righteousness. You can't. You can't. You can't just close your eyes really hard and just wake up. It's hard. It's mm. like you can't be born again. You can't just. It's not about willpower. And sometimes, and and Alan Watts gets this too. He says this. It's it's whether it's Lutheranism, or whether it's Buddhism. There's a kind of person that wants to go in and say, "Tell me the 25 steps I got to mm. take, and then I'm going to earn a place in the in the whatever." Mm-hmm. What it, and they're different, you know. Christian salvation is different from you know enlightenment, but they have both uh, this coming to your senses, mm-hmm. and it's something for for Luther then that the spirit would need to uh, to move move you right. It's like you you're you're uh, for Luther, you're kind of like. Lazarus and Jesus calls you forth out of death to life, and then you wake up and you see the uh, the idea. You know, you love your neighbor as yourself because you see in other people of this connection in, mm-hmm. in Christ's way. But the but the idea though is that w- what Luther gets right. And what, what Luther gets, it's really helpful. Don't worry about whether God predestines people to hell. That's, that's a totally side issue here. What Luther's main insight is, is that we are self, self-deceptive mm-hmm. and that our, our hearts, our hearts are able to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Hmm. That is, we, we see the truth and then we just, for whatever reason, we turn in on ourselves and we kind of flee from it, we hide from it. And there's not a lot that you can do directly there. It's not a matter of willpower or extra hard work sometimes. You, you, you kind of need a, a, a snap in two, mm-hmm. that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But, but even more important than any of that, Luther's kind of like AA in the sense that you go in and you say, uh, hey there, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Jeff and I'm an alcoholic. I, I'm not somebody who's, who's gone to a 12-step program, but like, that's what you do when you go in, right? Mm-hmm. And if... Um, and if you do this, no one's mad at you for being honest about the fact that you want another drink. Right. No one's upset with you. Right. In fact, even if you screwed up, no one's really upset with you. They want to help you. They want to come alongside of you. But the idea is lying about that desire doesn't help you move forward. Correct. It's there. Not admitting you have a problem <laughs> right. is the problem. Right. And the same thing is true in spirituality. And, in, and from you know what we hear over and over again, and until you recognize that there is a problem, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like, there's no way mm-hmm. that anybody else can help you, really. I mean, it might it might be a little seed or something that gets planted, but usually it drives that person away from you mm-hmm. until they're ready to then address it. And then they might thank you later, uh-huh. perhaps, depending on how it was done. <laughs> but they really need to come to that spot themselves, and they need to see their lives just in enough disarray or whatever it is, they can't hold all the pieces yeah. together till you finally, I mean, I think that that's one of the things with this lockdown that has been so huge to me because I see, I feel like even just this summer when, you know, you know, we went out and went camping and stuff, but you know, we were trying to social distance and, and, we chose camping so we could be more outdoors and, and, and we're not... talking like mega distance as opposed to, you know, some of these campsites are pretty tight on each other. But... Yeah. And I, and I think that a lot of people, it, it seemed to me as dispersed if, dispersed camping, <laughs> as if they were 
in denial when we would come into towns and things. And I feel like people wanted to have a summer (laughs) and they wanted to pretend that this pandemic isn't happening. And I get that you need that. Um, we know, sometimes forgot emotional break if we were if we were in the mountains for a while. You're like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I and I and I want to forget. Yes, at right, times. Right. But it's it's the when you close your eyes and plug your ears and say this isn't happening. That's not helpful. Right. <laughs> it doesn't. That doesn't give you the emotional break or space or you know that time. And and I've mentioned. I think that in a way. Through nature or whatever, I mean, through our actions, we were forced into a time of fasting. That's what lockdown has kind of been. Right. And in, there's times, you know, we mentioned at the last um, episode of the Protection Arguing with Jesus, the uh, chapter 12. Finale, that yeah. There are, you know, in that, in that, those verses that we were looking at, that there is a time for feasting and there is a time for fasting. and. Right. And I, there's a value to fasting (laughs) and there, and again, that's part of that reset. I think, you know, you can, in your body, when you go without some things, right, then it causes you to sort of, I'm just kind of, even just, if it's food, you're resetting, Mm -hmm. you know, all of, I don't know, your, like your balances of sugar and carbs and, (laughs) you know, (laughs) cleanses are important sometimes. Fasts are best when they are in that Vein, rather than self-flagellation or self-torment to try to get points with, with the Almighty or right. something, right? Yeah. And and so if if in our world we are forced to stop and do things in a different way, we need to honor that and sort of figure out why you know why is this happening and what does this mean? That's that good yin time. That's of, your negative space of the pulling back, and so that you could see the big picture Correcto. and know how to re-enter into you know, society and life and things like that when, you know, when, you know, we are over all of this or whatever. And Mm. if, you know, and one thing to keep in mind, you know, we have, I don't, not to try to scare anybody, but like if we have this one pandemic, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other morphings of other viruses that might in the future affect us if we don't stop and pay attention to what is being We can't just wait for it to go away and then go back to business. You cannot rebuild. You cannot reconstruct we need to rethink. We need to reimagine. Or we'll find ourselves, I think, in the very same situation that it's just going to be, well, slightly different. But we'll be having to fast in another way <laughs> until we get, I think, until we get the memo or until we really properly understand, right? And so, anyway, I, I think it's, we need to honor the fasting. We need to honor the feasting. We need to live in the present moment. And live appropriately yeah. to that present moment. That's, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be flailing about when it's time to float on your back. <laughs> that does us no good, you know? Well, that takes us then. Again, we're looking at ways in which this fits our overall approach to trying to help people outfox religious wolves. This takes us to, for me, I think, one of the most important bits is that, number one, the Tao Te Ching is not based on an appeal to authority. Now, there may be times when you want to rely on authorities, and there may be really strong arguments, for instance, why you would think that the four Gospels are very helpful at bringing us reliable information about Jesus. That's all true. As well as there are people that have done 
you know, research on things or whatever, so we can trust mm. that they have done done some of the groundwork. Sure. You know, and, and of course, there's that part too. But it doesn't mean that we should turn off our brains, right, mm-hmm. and just accept what everything that they're saying just because they you know, seem to be the expert in this area. The Tao Te Ching invites you to believe something is true because it's true, not because it says so. Mm-hmm. That's the key. And I don't think that the Bible does this either, for instance. Right. Um, even some of the best conservative um, Christian apologists and voices will say, I don't believe that the Bible is true because it says it's true. I believe the Bible is true because Jesus trusts these teachings and Jesus is reliable for other historical reasons, right? You're, you're, you're not asked to simply accept what some guru just says is true. If you do that, I've got some interesting land purchases for you. you know, I mean, like that's, that's what people do all the time. And, and we're living in a world, we're living in a world where people are just making garbage up all the time and really confusing us, you know? Uh, I and mean, that's just so scary. So terrifying. And it, and, and it knows no bounds. We, and you, you, it, just because you say some weird thing wanna... on the internet and you have some weird group that just invents some conspiracy theory that's, that's not capable of being falsified, <clears throat> then I've got to apologize to you? No, to be honest, what the Tao Te Ching tells me is that I'm free to say I'm kind of in the game of looking towards things that are Direct perceptions that I can see to be true. You can give me all the evidence you'd like, but I'm not really going to apologize if you're not convincing by simply saying, look, there's this theory out there, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe there's some kind of quirky ways that you're going to draw it together. But we're living in this world that is having a very difficult time grasping truth. The Tao Te Ching says, how do I know this to be true? So many times. What's the refrain? Like this. Just opens. Like uh, this is how we read it. Just like, hey, look around. Stacy's putting her hands, hands out. Hands right? out. Yeah. So you open up your hands <laughs> almost it. as if you were to receive a blessing or something. But it's like you know, like this. Not everyone and agrees is- that that's the way to read it. But I, I really, I really feel that that, that space where it's just going. Look, I just look. <laughs> But you again, know, behold. and I like the, the, like I said, the open hands thing, because it's, it's almost like you're receiving this mm-hmm. blessing. It's something that is being given to you mm-hmm. that you just know. And so you hold it out. It's not, mm-hmm. not, it's not like out of your own blood and sacrifice that you've, right. you know, been right. able to determine it. You just know Open your eyes. And and you were given this gift. And a lot of people that get into situations where there is spiritual or other forms of abuse by religious teachers, pastors, or gurus, they get into that situation because they've been taught over and over and over again not to just see, taste and see what's true. Taste and see what is good and what is beautiful. Instead, they are fed things that are not tasty, that are not good for them, that are ugly and sometimes illegal and told to just deal with it because their whole lives, they've always expected that religion is for irrationality and a place where you abandon critical thinking. And I do want to also add that, you know, you mentioned even sometimes with the spiritual leaders and evil intent. I think sometimes the the unfortunate sad part is, is every once in a while it still can happen um, unwittingly. You know, yeah. people oh, good don't, intentions. don't mean to, but they've learned bad habits. I mean, think about even just as parents or whatever. We, You know, you learn bad habits that might be potentially harmful to the children. We've learned bad habits for a thousand generations. Yes. Because I said so. Okay. <laughs> so why should I make my bed? Because I said so. Right. Why should I believe in Hera and Zeus? Because I said so. It's an easy... Why should I believe that I should sacrifice my son to the god Molech? Because I said so. Yeah. Okay. 
okay, really? Is that how we're doing this game? That's an easy, that's an easy answer. You can spout it off really fast, uh, but it comes with a whole lot of problems. (laughs) You know, it's very short, very, very short term thinking to, to throw out that answer. It's doom. mm -hmm. You teach your kids that way, then you're going to not break the chain of gullibility and manipulation, and that manipulation leads to various other forms of abuse and manipulation. Yeah. Financial, it just keeps going, right? Number two, the Tao Te Ching invites reflection that's not tied to proselytizing groups. We mentioned this a little bit last time. Proselytizing is where you're trying to go and get, and get somebody to convert, but not just convert to your way of thinking, which is, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. We we're dedicating our lives to saying, hey, let's, let's help other people wake up to love, peace, beauty, and, and healing. I'd love, dear listener, if you're angry to convert you to peacemaking. <laughs> if you're belligerent to convert you into tranquility, I want to convert myself to that. But I'm not trying to proselytize you into my cult or my tribe or my denomination right. or my seminar group. Mm-hmm. Or my religious retreat. Mm-hmm. Right. But we don't need you to join anything, any club that I've got. If you want to know, is this club good or bad, I'll be glad to give you my take on it. But that's just <laughs> like your neighbor. You ask mm-hmm. your neighbor, should I go down to this Jiffy Lube? You know? Mm-hmm. If the answer is, should I go to like a, you know, a Jim Jones-style death cult, I'll be glad to tell you, no, I please reconsider. Mm-hmm. This is like that idea um, of, I think... What, what I've described in some lectures as the uh, the robot church monster. Oh, yes. <laughs> where, like, basically the church just is this entity, and basically it's not a movement, it's not a guru, it's not a denomination, really. It's a mortgage. There's a, especially here in Orange County, I just feel like I'm surrounded by all of these big buildings, and we aren't serving our neighbor. We're not serving the tikkun olam, the healing of the world. We're not necessarily, I'm not saying that they're not doing this, but our primary dedication in American Orange County churches especially, because we haven't had these for a long time, but there's a lot of churches mm-hmm. that have their mortgages paid off on the East Coast uh, here. But in Southern California, there's a lot of churches that spend a lot of their energy trying to pay off the mortgage of the of the big box building. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they you know obviously the buildings get older they need a certain amount of upkeep right Perhaps upkeep they, your church they can't donate to your organization your your center whatever update it but you were describing this kind of as this this constant almost capitalistic consumeristic Life. spirit of the church i feel like sometimes when it's time to do some upgrades then the next immediate thing is also add-ons and maybe yes maybe the add-ons actually more often the add-ons sometimes they don't do the, <laughs> well, the, the repair it, it kind of seems to sometimes the add-ons start to take you know take more precedence like you said because it feels like you know it's okay it's hard to fundraise but can i also say this for roof if we ever, <laughs> if we if we're going on the road, driving driving along on our road trip, and we miss our exit, do you immediately want to get right off the freeway or something or the highway and do a U-turn? Now maybe you don't have the choice, but if there is a choice, you never want to. go. I don't like U-turns. I like just find a different way around it. Right. <laughs> I don't like backtracking. And so I think in a similar way, just. Updating a building isn't sexy. No. no. <laughs> because we already had this building and, you know, and some people probably think the kitchen works just fine for our needs and other people right. get, you know, this big vision of how we can, <laughs> you know, get 
way better ovens and, and stovetops and then we can serve the community more or whatever it is, you know. Um, and well, I hope that's what we say. You so know, sometimes some it, it's the big show though, right? And, and I'm not trying to make right. – this isn't about the criticism. It's to say that so often the reason people proselytize is to pay the bills. Right. So it's not to they try to, to keep- get you healed. They need to get people in the, the pews so they can pay for the programs and the and people the are the battery. So I mm-hmm. need to put butts in the pews. So if there's any empty spaces, I need to go out. I need to find some way of proselytizing to get people not to my faith, my religious tradition, my, my meditative practices. That's part of the sell. Mm-hmm. You know, just like Walmart's trying to get you some, you know, cheap cheese or something. We're not saying that those things don't offer community and programs for your kids. You are saying that the emphasis is not on the mission. Mm-hmm. It's on the building. And when the building gets paid, they don't just then rest on that and turn very often to deep work within the communities. Very often churches turn to another project, project to keep people in, in, entertained and, and engaged. But what this means is by the time you get to the younger generations, there's nothing you can do to evangelize them into that kind of thing because they see that they are surrounded by hustles. There's always somebody trying to get them into something. And what that does sometimes, especially for young people that I know that I've taught over the last 20 years, is that those, those kids grow up being very, very skeptical of any conversation that, that sounds spiritual or religious. And therefore, and this isn't all of them, but therefore they lose out on possible tools and mm-hmm. resources for their own peace and healing because they know that very often those are dispensed by people who want to steal the logo or they want to steal the power mm-hmm. and put their logo on that power, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the Tao, you, just like we say, you can't trademark the Holy Spirit. You can't copyright you know, the Logos. You, you know, God's in the public domain. Well, the Tao is also uh, in the public domain. You can't sell it. You can't own it. And yeah, and and you want to make sure you do want to make sure your 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 church or whatever is able to serve the needs that 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 body cares about. But I think that sometimes you know when we get in over our heads, like you said with some of these, that that it it turns over to that's what it has to be about. Where with Tao Te Ching teaches you more the minimalism aspect, right? Right. And and so that when you have less needs, then you can go about doing you know or mm-hmm. I guess less. Not I'm not saying less, but you when you have. <laughs> You know, when you're keeping things simpler, then yeah. you're not getting distracted from your mission. Yeah, because of all of the other fluff that we've created. It's like chapter one of the um, "Protect Your Noggin with Jesus" series. Is that in that we were saying, put down the dishes, mm-hmm. Martha. Sit and just behold. Like you don't really need. All these things you need to get the message right. You need, <laughs> if there's a power in the movement and the message, you could do it in a park. You could do it right where you're standing. The sacred space, the sacred moment is right wherever, friend, you are standing or sitting or laying right now. That is a sacred space, too. There are other spaces that you should go check out and hang out with people and Ooh, learn. And but right now, important. this is also that. And so, Understanding that and then growing from it mm-hmm. helps us to think about our buildings and our libraries and all that. Just being subservient to that core exactly. message. Exactly. It supports helps us with it. That. It supports it. Number three, the Tao Te Ching helps us to let go of fear mm-hmm. and helps us find centering. And fear is something 
that causes us to become easily manipulated. When we turn to tyrants, dictators, and cult leaders, we're often living with uncertainty. And for this time, for 2020, summer 2020, we can't think of a better text to be studying for our particular chaos globally, and especially in America, than a text that says, okay, let's find a way to get away from the chaos. And it was written around a time when people were living in a very similar chaos. But many, 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 many years ago, right? It even predates the Bible. Oh, yeah. I mean, how old? 475 to 221 is the Warring States period. A lot of these themes come out from around that time. Of course, as I've said, you know, in the, the first episode of this season, that it's probably that, you know, like over time, people would have edited and added to and, mm-hmm. and kind of curated the original chapters. But, um, but yeah, it comes, it comes from a time before the Christian New Testament was written, and it is reflective of, as we said in, um, in, in the sense, the Tao surfers, these ancient, anonymous, uh, wise people that studied nature prior to any of this being formally written down. Mm-hmm. Might have come, just historically, might have come from kind of the, the shamanist kind of world and traditional, maybe animist, spiritual world, but that doesn't really show up too often, if at all, in an explicit way in the 81 chapters of the Tao Te Ching, and it would be incidental. Just like, for instance, if you were, um, you know, say a Mormon or an Orthodox Jew reading Socrates, you don't have to believe in the the spirit that was speaking into Socrates' mm, ear mm-hmm. or his belief or a lack of belief in mm-hmm. the Greek pantheon. If it's in the text, it's kind of incidental to it as opposed to central to it. And I think at most you might – I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head. There's there's reference to maybe the the early father emperor that we'll we'll discuss in one point um, that doesn't have to be that and probably isn't that. Probably goes the other way. That is that they might have deified a concept. You also have um, reference to the mother but that too, as we're going to see, is not necessarily Mother Earth. And even if those were, it would just be part of the landscape or the architecture of their um, of their thought world, right? Mm-hmm. But this again, the Tao Te Ching is dealing with very specifically, um, immediately observable and kind of intuitively obvious. But you missed it for a while. Yeah, truths. and when yeah, when you finally do see it, it's like like we said, it's hard to unsee it. You know, number four. The reason the Tao Te Ching fits with our overall purpose on this podcast is it's important for people to have a resource for detoxing from bad religion. We mentioned this a little bit on the first episode, Mm -hmm. but so often people say, you know, I don't want to be part of this group anymore, and maybe they're church workers, and then they kind of blast out of that, and they just ghost spirituality, and they feel a kind of longing. A hole. And they don't know what to fill it with. Maybe mm-hmm. they fill it with substances. I'm not saying always. Maybe they just fill it with being busy. But sometimes they need to settle down and be quiet. So what kinds of tools can we have that feel like there's kind of a spiritual and meditative element to it? But again, it doesn't require us to jump into some other religion or somebody right. else doing our thinking for us. Right. Yeah, that's been extremely helpful because, you know, and again, it's that. it's also that fresh perspective of looking at something you know mm-hmm. um with 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 a different you know that different set of eyes but but yet it you know you i think it, it's just natural for people to get fatigued 
when you're That's dealing part of it too, you with know. some of the same things over and over again. Yeah, it might again. not just be detox. It just might be... Just, you know, that I've heard this. I've heard this all my life. I just need, you know, I need to kind of hear something from a little different angle and then see how it applies or doesn't apply to, you know, my religious beliefs and things, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, and, and, and that's the other thing too, <laughs> as you're, you know, as you're, if you're going through, you know, something like this or whatever, you don't check your mind <laughs> at the door, right, right? right? I mean, you're still keeping your brain, <laughs> you know, there intact and thinking through these concepts. And, and again, does it ring true? Yep. You know, is there truth here? And if there is, then how can I incorporate this into my life, into my spirituality? Mm-hmm. You know, if it doesn't, or if I just don't see this really having, you know, then then let it go. Did you find that in reading the Tao Te Ching, you were more or less interested in some of the the teachings and the wisdom of, say, Ecclesiastes and the New Testament, like Jesus' teaching? Yeah, more so. I think it just gave it a richer perspective. And, you know, you, you hear some of these things, but you, hear, you know, see it and hear it in a slightly different way. So it just adds another layer to the whole thing. And, and you, then you, you know, like for me, you know, part of it with, cause Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything, right? Right. So, you see that. So then yeah. I start looking at nature and I, you know, and start to see all the seasons and then realizing why the seasons are important. We can't constantly be in summer, mm-hmm. you know, we can't constantly be in spring, you know, I mean the land, you know, as farmers know that after a while, land needs to rest. Yeah, you know? that's the Sabbath in the Bible. Jesus says, my disciples don't fast because right now we're having the party because I'm right. here. There'll be a time when I'm not here and then they can fast. Right. Or, you know, think about it. To everything. Turn, turn. <laughs> well, I go to a funeral and I go to another funeral and then I hear somebody reading over and over. There is a time for everything under the sun. A time to da 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 at times, da, 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 da. and like mm-hmm. I'm going through this, I'm like going, I am it's so tired, bored. Tired. But that teaching becomes vivified, right? It becomes something that's that's much more apparent. I'll give you one for me. I, I, I know you've talked about that one. One for me is in uh, Christian liturgical debates, there is a discussion between groups about the presence of God, of the Logos, the wisdom of the world in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. The Roman Catholics believe that the bread and wine becomes the body and blood of Christ, but is, um, and, and, and the original substance is destroyed. It just looks like bread and wine, but it actually is Jesus. The Lutheran teaching is that Jesus is in, the presence of Jesus is in, with, and under the bread and wine in some mystical way that doesn't require philosophical explanation. And then the Presbyterians said, no, Jesus can't be physically present there, can't be really present because uh, the Reformed tradition, the Calvinists, uh, because uh, the finite cannot contain the infinite. So that's just a debate that's just gone on, and it bores me, Mm -hmm. and everyone wants to debate about it. I'm just, I mean, I'm kind of bored. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking at the Tao Te Ching, and then I'm translating with my colleague, C.J. Armstrong, a, uh, the Colloquy of Montbilliard. Um, he translated the Colloquy of Montbilliard. I just ran through it and edited it. Um, but in that, I noticed that I, I could see what the, the Lutheran side was trying to say, which was in the Tao Te Ching, there's this idea that if you take something small, the infinite can be perceived deeper than it. So if you took, mm-hmm. this is the great mystical you know, teaching of, say, Julian of Norwich, who holds a hazelnut and says, ah, infinity's in this hazelnut. 
Mm-hmm. That's actually really insightful where we say, ah, this doesn't make the practice of Holy Communion less exciting or less interesting. It makes it far more exciting. We talked about this actually on Sunday in church where we're saying this yeah. is something that um, people debate, you know, can Jesus be in more than one place at once, right? Mm-hmm. Well, like that's kind of missing the point. That's one issue. The other question though is, could Jesus be in a little tiny place? Mm-hmm. And well, can it can can it be contained? No, it's like in the, it's like fractals. You know, you kind of dig down deeper, and it just keeps going and going. Right. Well, and and this imagery has been extremely helpful to me. And, and I'm going to go back to the beach and the ocean or whatever. But if you take you know a bucket, right? Yep. And you put the bucket in the ocean and you fill it up with water. Do you have ocean water in the bucket? Is the is the bucket containing this piece of ocean, right? Mm-hmm. It is, but is it the ocean itself? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's just part of it, right? right. But there, right. it's just, it's a, and I think uh, sometimes too, we feel comfortable with what we can contain and we're afraid to dive in deeper to, to that water and go mm-hmm. to actually in the ocean and experience the whole thing in its entirety. So does this bucket have part of the ocean in it? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. For this moment, it does. You know, but is that all that it ever is? No. I mean, it's so much bigger than what we can possibly even contain. Right. And so I I feel like, I mean, we get glimpses, you know, Mm -hmm. we get a deeper understanding, you know, but, you know, the more that I keep going on my own quest, I just find that there's, there is more and more to be understood. There's Mm -hmm. more and more, you know, to you know, I'm peel on the different layers or whatever. And and I wouldn't expect anything less than that from, mm-hmm. you know, the God of this universe, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. like, so, so that's what's so beautiful about it. We're not going to spend a lot of time doing that kind of comparative work. We're not going to try to convince you that Jesus and Lao Tzu are saying similar things. We'll mention those residences just because we want to kind of help us to understand both well. We're not going to try to well, Christianize the Tao who, Te Ching. It, it is yeah. part of who I am. It's part of who we are, right? It's our backstory. So it, so it's so silly to falsely be objective and not recognize our our Im- embeddedness in this world. Right. And so um, this is one of the reasons why we're even doing another translation. There's no such thing as just like this pure, literal, for all time, objective English translation. It can only work as we're trying to bring this language into... a like idioms that make sense to us. Right. And that's why the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. Or how do we put it in uh, chapter one? Uh, chapter one is a really hard one to translate because everybody looks to it and you know, you know, you gotta, you're going to be uh, <laughs> people looking at it. So it, we uh, have it. Yeah, we have it as the Tao set forth as dogma is not the everlasting Tao. Words cannot contain the infinite word. A capitalized word. Now that one's the most dangerous, that's a very dangerously close to looking like we're trying to Christianize it. We're not. What we're trying to do is say that for those of us who grew up with the language of Christian and Jewish uh, imagery and narratives, and that's everybody really that grew up in America because it's influenced us even when our parents were not religious, even when certain founding fathers of America were not good Christians or practicing Christians, their language, their idioms, their allusions, their thought world was often informed by these narratives and these themes. So what we're doing there is we say, all right, the, what is it? The, 
what is it again? The the, the Tao set forth as dogma. The Tao is the way. The Tao set forth as dogma is not the everlasting Tao. Not the everlasting Tao. It doesn't mean that it's not real. It just means that or it's not true. It's just the theology. But it's that it's not identical with it. Now, if that sounds like that's you know, oh, Christians shouldn't think that. For instance, um, we'll get to that in a minute. But the reason we're talking about dogma is in our world, my concern is dogma. Yeah. So this this rendering of that chapter, that verse is important to me, mm-hmm. and I share it, dear friend, with you. So if you grew up in a world that was overly dogmatic, or in, in the worst sense, right, um, stubbornly dogmatic, mm-hmm. then um, then this will speak to you. And then we mention the eternal capital W word that refers to the logos that also has some resonance with the. Um, uh, the, the divine creative principle of the world in Stoicism and specifically the way that that was taken over into Christianity by John 1, where, where John in his gospel writes at the very beginning, in the beginning was the Logos and the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. So he's basically connecting this embodiment of the Logos with Christ Jesus. But the point being, again, we're not going to be trying to wedge these things together or make some syncretic, uh, syncretistic new thing. We're simply saying that for us who grew up in this world, if you want to know what the dang chapter is saying, this can be a helpful way of seeing it. Okay? Right. And if you want to then it's go deeper into understanding way. how did it say it in the original, go to somebody else like Derek Lynn or well, Addison I mean, uh, Stanley Lombardo to get that kind of sparse original Chinese flavor to it. Yeah. And I do think it's important. Um, so a couple of things. One, mm. I've, I've found it extremely fascinating to get the, the sparse, you know, more take at it because mm. it is, it's a little bit more of, I want to say like a, a blank slate mm. from which you can pull what, how to understand it from. Mm. And you could see perhaps, you know, we, we use certain, you know, imagery or whatever, but maybe, you know, maybe it makes more sense for somebody else to say it a different way. And that is okay too. And that's the whole point. I think that throughout the, the, all of these years, I think that, you know, having more and more translations or interpretations is great. Yeah. I mean, and and I think it's it's probably best to maybe have a couple on hand yeah. that you're comparing and contrasting just to kind of see, you know, mm. what, you know, how to get a rounder, fuller picture of of this idea. Mm. But the Tao Te Ching, the Tao Te Ching itself, uh, when it was written, I mean, you think like back again. We, we mentioned how long ago it was, right? And right. so the resources that would have been available to even write the stuff down to to you know, limited, limited to say the least, yeah. and, and costly. Right. And so it made most sense to say something. And to be honest, it's very much <laughs> the whole thing of the Tao Te Ching to be as simplistic as possible yeah. as, you know, or as simplistic is okay. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that's in, in Greek philosophy, like God is simple, meaning not composite. So simple is like the pure thing. So you want simple gold. Mm-hmm. You don't want like a goldish right. alloy, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And well, and, and I think that the m- more clear mm-hmm. that somebody can say something. Direct. Yes. Yeah. Then, you know, with, with that sort of lucidity. <laughs> yes. You know, then you know that they understand something. Mm-hmm. You know, the more that, you know, you have to dance around something, you're still... Yeah. 
trying to to grasp and put your finger on it. But the Tao Te Ching allows you to grasp and try yeah. to put your finger around it. But it's going to take several people, perhaps yeah. you know, several different things that might until you might catch that aha. Uh-huh. You know, this is in like the theory of a guy named Gadamer that that truth kind of emerges as we're all talking together, and and uh, myth, fairy tale, legend, like. Carl Gustav Jung said, it all bubbles to the surface. Myths come to the surface, and there's no one author. Um, the fact that there's so many people that have touched the text and honed it is probably one of the reasons why it rings so true, mm. because the stuff mm-hmm. that just didn't quite make sense to the 15 other people that had a hand mm-hmm. in editing. Again, what we're after is finding something as a resource that we can use when we need to take a little pause from what we've been talking about. Now, in just a few minutes, baby, I need to talk to one of our future guests to set up a future interview. So we're going to take a quick break so I can do that, and we'll be right back. And when we come back, friends, we're going to look at um, 5, 6, and 7, the uh, uh, Five, six reasons five, six, and seven why the Tao Te Ching really helps us uh, to get ourselves ready to be able to outfox religious wolves. Thanks for being with us. Hey there, friends. In our travels across the U.S., we have found a website that we absolutely love. It's called Harvest Hosts. Could you imagine camping overnight in a vineyard, distillery, brewery, or a golf course all to yourself? We've been doing it, and it is absolutely magical. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link where you can sign up and get 15% discount on the annual fee. We think it'll put a smile on your face, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and you can stay all around the country for free. We hope you dig it as much as we do. Check it out. Hey there, friends. So glad you're still with us. And we have just a few more to go here, but I think they're important. We're looking again at the ways in which the Tao Te Ching can help us address some of the themes and some of the important goals that we have for this podcast and the curriculum that we offer. And, uh, and uh, we're really excited about the ways in which we're not always going to have to deal with kind of the negative things uh, through this, but we're actually now kind of feeding our own selves. We're finding some nourishment, I think, to to really be in a healthy place to be able to not just deal with traumatizing aspects of life within religion, but just to, just to be healthy. So if any of that sort of thing comes our way, you know, we're not already weakened. Right. You know, it's the nourishment and that's number six diverse reading keeps us out of culty environments. Mm. It doesn't even matter whether it's the Tao Te Ching or not. The very act of us coming with a very heavily Christian audience that is pe- a lot of people over the couple of years here have 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 come in from that tradition mm-hmm. whether you're in it or used to be in it or whatever it's important for you not just to read let's say even things that are critical of christianity right like i mean <laughs> right? if your whole diet is dawkins and um folks who are deconstructing Evangelicals, uh, evangelicalism or people who are angry about the way they, they feel that that had misled them. Mm-hmm. All very important things. Things that I have myself enjoyed reading for the catharsis of it, you know. Um, but, you, you know, you can't just live off that. You need <laughs> something that is going to give you that nourishment. And one of the things that's important is a varied diet. Right, you don't want just a right. monoculture. You can't be in an echo chamber, and you definitely don't want to be in that kind of world where 
where you can't see with perspective that you were talking about earlier in this episode because all, all you, you see is one thing. Yeah. People. You know, it's interesting because there's a, you know, a lot of times even in my life where, you know, you, you hear or been told, Oh, don't read this person or don't read that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, it's like, it's almost as if it, like there's a like something contagious about it, yeah. <laughs> and I would say that if you are keeping you know your wits about you um, as you're reading something, just because you read something doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that is being said. And just because somebody finds something useful from one perspective or whatever doesn't mean that that means then that they absolutely agree 100% with everything and that ditch that, everything they held that group before. or organization yeah. you know or that person you know says you can say that somebody offered me some good advice but yet you know you may not take uh you know their their cooking you know <laughs> lessons from them or advice right. you know what i'm saying right. like i guess what my and christians point is, are bad at that very often in america evangelical fundamentalist christians especially but keep going well and it's kind of like you get a green light on something and so maybe you you know just go deep into that one area, but you, you know, the red light stuff or whatever. And it's like, you almost like stay away from it as if it's cursed or whatever. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I think obviously when you're reading something, I mean, again, is it there, you could find yourself in a swarm of negativity or whatever and decide, you know what, this isn't for me. This isn't putting me in a good headspace and and go ahead and walk away from, from it. Right. But just because something is talking about a particular subject or a particular negative feeling doesn't mean like you're going to catch it yeah. like the cooties, <laughs> you know, or that you shouldn't address it, confront it, process it. Well, and the thing it's is uncomfortable. And then the other thing too, well, yeah, actually if something does like rub you in a, and I'll say most importantly in an irritating way, yeah. you probably need to dive a little deeper into that and figure out why we've said, if you go to a religious community and you come out, depressed, listless, beaten down, then you want to see that as a sign to get out. But if something is is stirring you up because it's hitting close to home, don't be too quick I mean, and it's, to abandon that. And it very well might be something because it, it is unhealthy for you. But when, I guess, you can recognize something as being unhealthy and walk away from it. But when you let it eat at you and fester inside of you, that's when I think there's more business to be done that you may not realize, and it may take time. You know, you, you know, it may not be something that is resolved right away. But I would definitely look at that as a clue that there's some unfinished business in this particular area, and maybe you know, maybe dive a little deeper yeah. or find other yeah. people that are talking about this subject and kind of get at what it is about this that is actually getting you to get frustrated or riled up and angry in right. that, that same way. Yeah. Because yeah. um, you can yeah, totally disagree it? with somebody uh-huh. and walk away from them and not get upset with them just saying, oh, they are absolutely crazy. Like, or this is so unhealthy. I, you know, I just, this is not good. I, this is not for me. But when, you know, again, like if you get upset and like that, they can get in your skin. <laughs> yeah. That's where I just know that there is well, someone. It's true for you sometimes. Finished business. Like, yeah. Like it's yeah. certainly true, true for me as well. Sometimes I just don't want to deal with it. And sometimes that's okay. We've had students that have been through real rough, real rough ride through Christianity or whatever the religious tradition was. And they didn't even really feel like they were in a place where they wanted to talk about it. No. Or even unpack it. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes you're going to say, I'm not, 
I'm not in a spot for that. We talked about this on an earlier episode where we talked about forgiveness. Sometimes people say, oh, it's really good to you know, kind of process through that. Sometimes it is when you need to. Sometimes it's not necessarily your burden to carry well, right. at that moment. I know sometimes things just kind of need to go into a box for a little while, and you can't deal with them. I get that. And, and, and when they can stay in this little box over here and you can go about the rest of your life and it's not interfering in a negative way, that might just be totally appropriate for you. If it starts to ever kind of bubble out of that little container that you're creating yeah. and spill into your life in other negative ways, I think that if you're able to explore some of those things a little bit more, um, it will help you to get, you know, more peace. There will, yeah. you know, there'll be, um, you know, a, a time where, you know, if it's, again, if it's affecting you. We said that if you were in a cult in, in our episode last season where we said how to help a friend out of a cult, we were, one of, one of the things we were saying is that it's really helpful just to have those constant communications if you can. If you can maintain contact with somebody who's in a weird group, then um, instead of just attacking that group, just being there for them and then not necessarily criticizing the group they're in, but just kind of living your normal life mm -hmm. from a different perspective, sometimes reading something that is, that is different or just from a whole different set of conversations will just help you to get your bearing. Mm -hmm. Even if you're saying the whole time, this isn't me, it just helps you to, to kind of bounce off and say, well, what, what is me? What's, you know? right. And that's the whole thing of the, the Tao Te Ching, this yin and yang, the, the yin and, that, that symbol, the Tai Chi symbol where you've got the black with the white swirling together. One of the things that's emphasized there is you don't get to see light until it bounces off of something. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. there's light floating through space, it looks like it's black until it hits something that's black, and then all of a sudden it becomes bright, and that thing becomes white. Mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. there's light and darkness that are not really something you could understand apart from their the con connection with each other. Yeah, the contrast. Being and non-being, presence mm -hmm. and absence, time and, and you know, eternity. And then you've got, like music, you've got notes and beats and then periods of silence. You, you don't have music without that. You right. know, so. there, and there are times to just expose yourself into a certain area, right? And yeah. like, and, but, but, or you mean like kind of quarantine yourself? Right. Like, I'm, I'm just going to just, you know. This is what I that. need to focus on or whatever. Sure. That's fine too. We're not saying that. But when you, um, I guess my point is as a lifestyle, if you never, you know, try something a little different, like I guess one of the things would be, or at least, you know, at least know what the thought is. Because if you get questioned, later on about something and you've never even opened into that mm -hmm. category. Like you can't even, people wouldn't, they're like, how do you know mm -hmm. <laughs> this way or whatever? Mm -hmm. Cause you've never really even looked into this or explored this part or whatever, or mm -hmm. just answer for it. Like, you know, why, you know, why do you believe what you believe and things like that? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and how does that look, you know, other from you know different from other people mm -hmm. does that make sense oh, like sure does, like that's yeah. the part of like even with college like you you know if you're not wrestling with some of these ideas some of these philosophies some mm -hmm. that's why part of the reason why you you know with general education you get exposed to all these different things but the whole point of like the liberal arts education is to get sort of a well-rounded education exposed to all different you know all these various different things yes. so that you're just not pigeonholed into one, you know, one little thing. Right? Because friends, if you are in a crazy, crazy scene, you will not be able to know it's crazy until you step out and go, oh, so you mean not everybody's 
You know where flowing like that flow. <laughs> you know where I hear that a lot is where? people in bad relationships. They yeah. said I didn't realize how bad the relationship was until I was out of it. Yeah. You know, until I saw yeah. life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And my so existence apart true. from that. And just felt it. I mean, sometimes if you would, if you would use this analogy, maybe if you're really deep into a, a certain religious tradition that is not Chinese ancient Chinese philosophy taking a little two-week vacation, or in this case, you know, our season, which sometimes can be six months and maybe we go longer. <laughs> but, um, but you know what I'm saying? But taking that, that time as a recreation, rest, restoration, mm-hmm. vacation, taking a vacation from the normal fare is going to make you either get away from the stuff that you were eating that was nasty or reappreciate it when right. you return. You right. know, that right. was what we've been saying. Yeah, absolutely. Number six, anti-legalism is really at the heart of the Tao Te Ching. And that's one of the reasons I got into it in the first place. I spent a lot of time with it, uh, along with, strangely, Søren Kierkegaard and um, uh, and the Tao Te Ching come up as, as important for my book, Sexy, The Quest for Erotic Virtue in Perplexing Times. Just like this show is not primarily about um, you know, ex- expressing all of the details about Taoism or the Tao Te Ching and its history, um, that book is not really about sex in particular. Mm. It's about an exercise in applying something that we'll talk about in a later show that's really important to me about the, the breakdown of society. And it, it relates to our times now. That is, uh, I'll just give you the brief version. Whenever you feel that people are just talking about symbolic patriotism, when people are just talking about um, codes of protocol, when people are just talking about the rules, then they are removed dangerously far from the Tao itself. As Luther said in, in his book, The Freedom of the Christian, where there is love, there is no need for law. It's not that the law isn't helpful. It's that if you could get to the Tao. The closer mm-hmm. you get to the Tao, the less you need rules. Right. Rules are for the weak. Rules are for misbehaving folks that are trying to get as far from the truth and goodness as possible. Rules may be necessary just to survive in this world, right. but it is a low-level ethic. It's what you tell right. a five-year-old. What we really want, and this goes goes back to that idea of feeling what you feel you should feel, something that you know we were talking about Alan Watts. Alan Watts said, you know, the one insight of, let's say, you know, Augustine and Luther and Christian and Jesus and so forth is that God's not really interested in you doing acts of devotion if your heart's not in it. Mm-hmm. And we're not interested in somebody doing something for us if their hearts are not in it. We we want to just be honest. And so even in relationships, just being honest with people is much more healthy than mailing it in and people realizing that you are. Mm-hmm. If you want to worship in a certain way, like I love like slow Episcopal liturgical style, mm-hmm. helps me. But if you're not into that you know, sort of thing. Right. Don't do it just because you're like, God needs you to do that. That that's dumb. Right. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to call you dumb. I'm saying that's a kind of a silly idea. At least it occurs to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, if God needs you to sing songs that you really, really hate, and that's something that he needs you to do. I'm not saying you don't sing songs because you want to be with everybody else and be a part of the team. Right. But like, if God says, I'd love to let you into the pearly gates, but you didn't sing enough of the boring songs. <laughs> don't worship that God. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Forget that. That religion. is a, that is a frightful God. You know, you that's know. Uh, the devil. <laughs> 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 you know, sing me some songs that, that you hate, you know, no, it's, it, it, 
Alleluia, the very, the very word Alleluia is like this bubbling up of joy from the gut, from our belly. And then Alleluia, it's like, the, it's the ululation. You know, mm-hmm. that's, how we, that's how we sing Alleluia, you know. Um, but, but, uh, but this idea of anti-legalism just needs a little bit of background, and, and we'll explore this all throughout the season. But basically, you've got, in the warring state period, in this time of upheaval, you've got the Confucians. The Confucians are those who are basically saying, let's stay with the Golden Age traditions. Let's go back to the way it used to be when things weren't crappy. And it's <laughs> totally a reasonable and sometimes a very healthy way to go. It's the best of conservatism. You know, if you have a conservative friend and, and you know what I mean by this, they're conservative in the best way. They say there are values like kind of like that, those boy scout values Mm of honor and respect and the rule of law and efficiency in government and not just discarding the wisdom of the past. That is the that is great. That's what conservatism <laughs> is to you. That's great. And if liberalism is freedom to explore and, and openness to new ideas and progress towards a better world, that is great. Those are great things, right? And, and, and yet, Confucians being conservative in that way for the Taoist were insufficiently going to deal with their times. Mm. In other words, this is that same idea we were talking about at the close of last season, old wine and uh, old wineskins, new wine and new wineskins. There's a time when society is such that limited government really works well. Mm -hmm. When people have virtue, there's no need of government. When everybody's going to, you know, if everyone's going to live in their little villages and respect each other and we're going to look out for each other, then then we don't need a lot of regulations. Mm -hmm. But when we're in the mad, mad wild west where we're, where we're taking advantage of other people, then the sheriff needs to step in. Step in. Yeah. And it reminds me, you know, cause you, you know, thinking about the good old days or whatever. And I, you know, was just thinking about remembering the days where I could, you know, ride, ride my bike up and down the neighborhood and come in when the streetlights turned on. Yeah. Right. And very rarely in America these days, do kids have that level of freedom, at least, Outside of some some very quiet, rural and pleasant rural areas, areas where we knows each other, that's kind of the key, right? Right, right. And and yet, I mean, I could lament that 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 world doesn't exist in the neighborhoods. I guess that I say I grew up in, right? Yeah. And and wish it all day long that my kids had that exact same experience. Mm. But the reality is, that just wasn't safe for the kids anymore to, yeah. to have that you know same setup and so so you can't just say hey let's spend all our time to, you know, you know can, going can, back to those days right and and anyway yeah so you have to figure out okay so then you know where is where can the children find that that freedom again you know in a safe way you know and and, and it has to and it's going to look a little different yeah or you know how do they still get so that play out and you know those kinds of things and so that's when i think everybody sort of in, invented the play dates and yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know but anyway things more if they do yeah. and rules alone unfortunately don't keep the creepers away and you they know don't change our hearts and they don't always heal what right. we need to have healed <coughs> now that the- and i think announcing a rule just yep. often creates people looking for <laughs> loopholes. Well, let me let me get to that because that that's actually the backstory to this, which is, you know, the Confucians were saying, "Hey, let's let you know these 
these codes of conduct, the way we treat our parents and so forth, these are great. But as that started to break down in society and it just wasn't practically workable, one of your other options, and there were other competing schools of philosophy, but another strong approach or at least approach that was dominant was legalism, Mm. which is basically in their case more like bureaucracy. We're going to legislate morality. And in the Tao Te Ching, I can detect that there is a very deliberate – criticism of legalism as a way forward. Basically, what we were talking to with uh, Alfie Cohn's stuff as far yeah. as intrinsic values, you want intrinsic... Alfie Cohn, the psychologist who basically says fear of punishment and hope of reward does not make a good child. Right. And the idea is that if, if, if they don't hold these values in, <laughs> in an intrinsic level, it's just when you're not looking, uh, you know, then then all the shenanigans happens again, right? Yeah. And so and if, they lose if, a love for the good itself. And they think that maybe the real problem is the couple inches while you're dancing, but yeah. not necessarily making out outside the building. Or more <laughs> you know, importantly... If it wasn't ever explicitly said. Or more importantly, the idea that your, that your, your date is a reflection of your ego rather than oh, wow. a mutual respective, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's right. like, you're just asking the wrong question. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of how that fits. And, and because, for me, the number one torment, uh, the, the thing that, that just, just tortured me when I was growing up, I would describe precisely as legalism. Now, it was a certain kind of authoritarian Christian legalism, but it was like no fun. I would have a teacher that would that would get me in trouble for saying, you know, like for laughing, and they'd say, well, you know, jesting is, you know, get out of here. I can't have fun. And it's the, all and, work. No and the play. nice thing about the Taoist philosophers, and really when I say like the philosophical Taoism, I'm thinking of Lao Tzu, and then we may mention every once in a while some uh, text that's really, really fun. Oh, it's so much fun. Uh, Shuangzu. Um, which is more like stories and stuff. And it's just kind of Mm -hmm. similar themes, but told in very different ways. But in any case, the legalists, um, they thought that they could solve the problems of society by just getting the right, right, Rules in place and the order. Right rules in place. All the order. Anyway, (laughs) if friends, if you're looking for a, a break from any kind of, you know, rule-based understanding of religion and you want to move towards something that's just a reflection on insight and how insight can have an effect on your life, then The Tao Te Ching, friends, is a book for you. And in many ways, with this anti-legalistic bent, there's also that kind of symbiotic play between Confucians and, and Taoists in the past that resembles in some ways that idea that we've toyed with of the difference between the Jesus prophetic tradition, that is that there's the prophets like Isaiah 111 where God's not that impressed with your sacrifices mm-hmm. not that it's condemning all of the old practices mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like that new wineskin mm-hmm. old wineskin thing but Jesus being in that prophetic tradition of saying I'm going to emphasize the heart feeling this thing for real mm-hmm. and not just being an external show right. so in that sense it's pretty clear that the Taoists would be more like the Sadducees, maybe, in a sense. Or no, I'm sorry. The Confucians would be more like, uh, at least traditionalists, and maybe the Sadducees or something. And the and, 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 and I don't want to com- make too many of those kind of comparisons, but definitely that spirit of here's the way we've done it. And then there's this, these upstarts that are kind of 
reapplying that old way in a new world. Mm-hmm. But Confucius talked about the Tao, which is the way, mm-hmm. and the Taoists talk about the Tao. So really, they're they're looking at the kind of passive and 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 more like hippie. Like you know, there's a way in which the Taoists were kind of paleo hippies in the best sense. They cared about naturalness, oneness with the earth. They weren't really interested in the artificial. They were opposed to, um, y- you know, uh, to the system being a domination system, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And that's what takes us, I think, to number seven. The seventh main reason why the Tao Te Ching is ap- applicable to our overall context is really what's behind all of what we do is this earlier exploration and work we've been talking about as, as a family and, and earlier with the Virtue in the Wasteland podcast, this idea of Molech. Molech or Moloch being a way that we describe religions of cruel power, mm-hmm. where we describe the ways in which people have sometimes hurt their children in the name of religion because of fear. Mm. Well... Mm-hmm. One of the things that's just straight up going on, and, and, and really I encourage you to check out the um, the poem Howl, but especially the places in Allen Ginsberg's poem Howl that talk about Molech, which he describes as Moloch. And I believe we probably talked about that too. We have with on the, the other show. Series. We'll link yeah. to it. But the idea is that so much of the Tao Te Ching isn't to be read as self-help or spiritual candy mm-hmm. or quotables, <laughs> you know, I, I do want you to follow we, our Instagram, but I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of people that just have quotables that aren't from, well, too. they <laughs> just, you know, just, yeah, they kind of pick something and attribute, you know, like in the, like in San Francisco, when they first started making the uh, Chinese uh, cookies, the, uh, the fortune cookies <laughs> mm-hmm. that wasn't from actual China. It was made, it was invented in, <laughs> that was an American invention. American invention in San Francisco, <laughs> but they're tasty. But in those little slips of paper, it'll often say, you know, Confucius say, Mm-hmm. And then there'll be a, a, a platitude. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not necessarily the case that, that Confucius said that in the same way in our idiom, in our media. The the Instagram post is not the um, – the Instagram post is, is not the best way to know if something is authentic to the tradition. But um, – but my point, though, is that this isn't just something that we can commodify. We can't just take the the Tao Te Ching and say, oh, isn't this going to be helpful for our stressful lives? It can be stressful for our daily lives. There's nothing wrong with de-stressing. There's nothing wrong with finding joy in a passage of poetic philosophy from ancient China. Yeah, so you were saying it can be helpful, but it's not. But it's not only that. And in fact, in many, many ways, the big picture is it is opposing the way of Uber Yang, too much Yang, which is domination, Molex style power, mm-hmm. um, tyranny, law in the sense of overly regulating people to their despair and and right. and telling them what to do. It's, At a certain point, that crosses over into a form of slavery, yeah. if you will, like that that control of people so that they work for your ends and means. And in the 20th century... Outside of their own best interest. Exactly. And in the 20th century then, you could say that sometimes cults were the biggest problem. But if you want to look at the body count, the body count is ideologies. It is political cults. It is the the madness of the Nazis. It is Stalinist Marxism. It is the idea that that not only do we need to be very wary of people who want unquestioning loyalty as a guru or a pastor, mm-hmm. we definitely don't want to give that same energy to Führers. <laughs> so in our day, if you want to oppose fascism with us, oh, and by the way, if you're wondering, 
We love everybody. You know, you guys come along for the ride. You just, just join in. But we are not going to apologize um, this uh, episode or any other episode for just saying that the way of Jesus and the way of Lao Tzu have no space whatsoever for Fuhrer worship. It has no space whatsoever for uh, white nationalist, aggressive, chest-thumping, quote-unquote patriotism and uh, militarism and the idea that war is great. If that's your flow, this is going to be a challenge to that. We still want you to listen, but make no mistake, there isn't ground for that. There's ground for other things, and I would just give the one example. I forget what chapter it is, but there's this great line where where, uh, it says, go to a war, go to a battle, the way you would go to a funeral. Right. Don't go to war as if it's a party. Right. When you go to war as if it's a party. It's something serious. That's, it's something. That's that an orgy of death and blood. There is, there is something so wrong that you need to, you know, risk your own lives or send your, your children out there to fight yeah. something. That is not something to be celebrated. That is something to be mourned. That is something to say, you know what? We are in danger here. We need to, you know, do something, but not in the way that you're happy and gloating about it, or or trying to just go and and just take. Sh- yeah, <laughs> Sorry. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just take stuff, or well, rape just, and pillage is yeah, not yes. really the flow, you know. <laughs> no. and this is and, a world where people did do some rape and, and pillage. And also, there's another chapter where it says something like. Like 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 friends, how it's just it's in our bones now, but we we don't we right. don't have the text open with us right, right now. Right, right, right. So I, I mean, I yeah, I could look it up, but I, maybe even I don't know. We'll figure no. out the verse. But my point is, is that there is another chapter where it says that when you know if if I go to war or you know I'm, I'm, if my brother wants to like fight me or whatever, mm-hmm. I might concede a a foot of my land. Oh yeah. Um, you know, before I. That's what you're contemplating. Advance at all. Advance, yes. Yeah, so, so if two, never, two, two armies are squared off. So, well, and, no, but also never would he initiate the war is what yes, they're saying. Or right. the war would never be initiated oh, right, 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 right. by the sage You'll or the person. You'll concede some of your boundary. If somebody's going to encroach on you, he'd rather concede a foot, foot than, than to take a step forward. Right. In, but in, yeah. when needed, the, the step forward will be taken. And it will be... And it will decisive. be as if you're going to a funeral again, yeah. but it will be decisive. Their it will be very, <laughs> yes, it will be very deliberate. You know, like this is, again, it's that, that yin until you need to yang it and then you need to move in and, and take mm-hmm. care of business. Yeah. Um, and and this is how we want to empower people. You know, it's like, don't, don't be too quick to be causing fights within religious communities. But when somebody needs your defense, defensive help, or you need to punch out to get out, then you you just bring all that strength. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've been saving time. it up. You've been, you've been dwelling on that inner power, friends. We want that for you. Yeah. And I think that that, that to me is what I have found ex- so helpful with the Tao Te Ching is that sense of empowerment. It's the sense of, you know, really thinking about my actions so that I do feel good about them. I feel like this is the right move for the time when I do act or, or I am mean that way. And it's okay that I'm, you know, so anyway, so that sense of empowerment, that sense of that I don't need to second guess everything I do. Yeah. You know, that you live more intuitively, you flow with the way you surf the Tao 
because you're getting into the flow. You know, a lot of times I, you know, I'm going around saying, am I doing this right? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. you know, there's that, slows perf- you down. that perfectionism in me or something. <laughs> oh, it slows me down way down. Somehow, so I'm yeah. learning, I'm learning to drop that. So obviously what I have not given you all is perfection, folks. That I, I've, I'm getting over some of these ways. And I, and I think that, yeah, that lack of um, empowerment that is, you know, that I need to look to other people always to just check what I'm, you know, doing or saying and that am I, you know, again, am I doing it right? Am I saying it right? Am I getting this? And, and really no faith or trust in myself that, that the wisdom I'm receiving sometimes at church is if it could just flow through me, I always have to like second guess, like, you know, is it, is this done the right way? And, and largely, you know, too, because of so much in our circles is like, um, not just in our circles, but just in Christianity in general, we've been a part of many different denominations. We understand that they all have different little, you know, little things about them that make them, you know, like, you know, what it is. And so you start to, you know, in a way, you know, I can doubt myself or, or feel like I I wasn't really taught to trust how I felt about something um, as, as, a, as a possible indicator. I'm not yeah. saying it's the only indicator. Right. But I didn't. I just. You were taught to ignore the the light on your dashboard and wait for somebody else to give me the green, <laughs> the green, the green flag or green. That's light the forward. thing. That's the thing that's been really interesting to me because every time we say to really well-meaning people, the people I love very much and respect very much, and we'll say, you know, basically we're just trying to help the kids learn to think what they think they should think, do what they know they should do, and and feel what they truly feel, and that just. That just stops a lot of the conversation in its tracks, and we just kind of have to focus on that because, I mean, explicitly people are very uncomfortable with that idea, and it seems to me to be obviously what we ought to do. Right. I mean, just even when we tell people, you know, we talk about, like, your conscience. I I don't know. My my conscience does guide me. I I feel sometimes, you know, I can feel guilty about certain things, and I should pay attention to that. Um, I Sometimes it's false guilt. Sometimes it's just something that's socialization. But Mm. But I... But I still think that um, it is really scary for people to think that, you know, what if my conscience is telling me the wrong thing, you know? Yeah, and your I, conscience. You know, and I, it's, I, I think, again, it's, it's... a dangerous idea to me. I think so. And, I, and it wasn't until, you know, again, like thinking through things, like just realizing that, <laughs> again, we were, I was not taught to think for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was oh. I was taught to look to men to do my thinking for and, me. And adult human beings with whom I've discussed these ideas have said, "Now, Malinson, you guys are say- saying things that are not right because the whole point of say Christianity is to not trust yourself." And I don't agree with that. But usually, what they mean is like you know, Paul in Romans one says, uh, you know, like we suppress that you know we we we, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And there is the reality that we tend to justify our misdeeds through our own schemes. You know, you but, know. Is but that's it, different. Is it possible, though, <laughs> that, that, that my heart could have been changed and that I actually know the truth, you know? Yeah. And, and yes, it is. <laughs> and who else are you going to look to? You're going to have might, somebody else do it for you? Right. And it might go against, you know, the teaching of, you know, you know, something that my dad taught me or something that, you know, one of the pastors in the past had taught me, you know. St. Paul says it this way. I think this is helpful. St. Paul says, if you think something's a sin, then it is a sin. Mm-hmm. 
um, that's the weaker brother. The, he's thinking about, for instance, eating food sacrificed to idols. Basically, he's saying, like, you don't have to worry about that. But if you feel like it's a betrayal, then don't go doing that because that's the symbol. It's in your mind, right? So, like, don't do it. So there are times when you've got a conscience, quote, unquote, about things like when we first got married, just spooning felt like oh, we were bad because, right, like, right. you know, like, are we going to get in trouble? You right. know, too like, oh, no, right. we're supposed to do this. So we're not saying that. We're saying, though, that when that inner voice that Jiminy Cricket tells you, ah, this Right. This is something wrong here. And everybody else is saying, turn that voice off. That's what you got to watch out for. Absolutely. Because if you don't, you are not going to find that deep peace upon peace, friends. But that's what we want for you. Absolutely. much friends for joining us for this episode of protect your noggin podcast want to join in on the conversation we'd love to respond to your questions or comments on this show you can record a voice message by going to protectyournoggin.org. that's protectyournoggin.org. you can also find show notes and other resources there on our site uh, we also invite you to follow us on twitter at the p-y-n-p again that's at the p-y-n as in nancy p Please rate us on Twitter and, and tell a friend if this episode was helpful to you. Until next time, we wish you peace upon peace. But he said I wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Because you found this letter low too much. Why? 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 Why